I didn't get to meet you this morning. My name is Kendall Age. I serve as the lead pastor here, and we are in a series in the book of Daniel. So open up to Daniel chapter 7. If you are older than me, you probably don't recognize the words on the screen, but if you're younger than me, you probably do. This is a, uh, a love song. There's actually a, a couple in the church that came to me this morning and said this is the song they, they like to dance to, like this is their song, all right? So I'm going to try to read it without singing for your benefit, okay? But Sean can sing along if he likes, and anybody that wants to can join in, all right? So it says, I have died every day waiting for you. Darling, don't be afraid. I have loved you for a thousand years. I'll love you for a thousand more. I hear the humming. I hear the humming. It's hard to just read it when you know the tune. Now, we can all tell what this means, right? This is a love song. Here's this, here's this woman telling her, her man how much she misses him when he's gone, right? I've died every day waiting for you. And then she just expresses this, this really beautiful sense of loyalty to him. Darling, don't be afraid. I've loved you for a thousand years. I'll love you for a thousand more. Like, everything in me, for as long as I have breath, I will love you. It's a good song. Now imagine, you know, when we read that, we get it. That's a love song. We understand that's a love song. Now, let's pretend like we don't understand and let's treat it like a newspaper article, all right? Jessica Derrick of Spotsylvania, Virginia, passed away suddenly last Monday. She then died again Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. As she waited for her husband, Sean Derrick, 41, also of Spotsylvania, to return from a business trip. Blessed with unusually long life, Jessica has loved Sean since the year 1023 A.D., (laughs) even though he was not born until the comparatively recent time of 1980. She will additionally continue to love him for at least 900 years past the time when Sean, who has a typical human lifespan, is expected to pass away. If you interpret a love song like a newspaper, you're going to miss it a little bit. In fact, you're going to miss it entirely. And if we interpret the book of Daniel and Revelation like a newspaper, we're going to miss it too. It is a different kind of writing. You can take that down now. We are in Daniel chapter 7, which begins the second half of the book of Daniel. And the rest of this book and all of Revelation, which we're going to do next, is a unique kind of writing. Your Bible has different kinds of writing in it. There are Proverbs and there are songs. There are instructions and there are laws. And in the case in front of us this morning, there is apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature. It's a kind of prophetic literature. Now, what is apocalyptic literature? If you were here last week, we discussed some of the basics of it. It speaks to us in pictures, images, vivid descriptions of these creatures and happenings. Now, the pictures 
we got to understand it's not like it's not like a kind of ancient photograph that we can look at and kind of hold up and say, all right, we'll, we'll know it when we see it. Here's, here's the picture, because it's not a picture of what things look like to us. It is a picture, more profoundly, of what things look like to God. It shows the essence of things, the reality behind the scenes. If you pull back the curtain of, of what we can see physically and saw to the essence, that's what apocalyptic literature is describing. And God gives us this to equip His church to live in this world. This is, this is literature given for our equipping so that we can see behind the scenes, so that we can know the essence of what's going on, so that we can trust God in all that we walk through. So we're going to read this morning the entirety of Daniel 7. We're going to focus on the second half in terms of explanation because this is our second Sunday in this chapter. But it is one chapter. We need, we need the, the full context. So follow along with me. Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was, made, it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came 
to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desire to know the truth of about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment. And his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed but I kept the matter in my heart. God's Word. Now, I am thankful, as I read this, for Daniel. Not only was he the one that received this, but he's kind of in there a little bit, giving us his response. And he was basically just freaked out by what he saw. He was terrified by what he saw. He turned pale and was trembling based on what he saw. And then, he didn't know what he saw. <laughs> he didn't understand. Like, what was that all about? Aren't you glad that Daniel was there to say that? Because that's what I was thinking as I was reading. What was that all about? And so he actually approaches someone in heaven in verse 16 and says, hey, can you explain this to me? These four great beasts and this judgment scene that we saw. And so thankfully, we get the interpretation to this 
from the divine perspective in verse 17 and 18. Here it is again. Here's the interpretation. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. Forever and ever. All right, so the four beasts are four kings. And as we go through here, we're going to see that the word king and the word kingdom kind of get interchanged back and forth. So I think we could say four kingdoms. This is going to be four kingdoms that come. And then the saints will receive the kingdom from God. Now, I am very grateful we have this interpretation, but perhaps, like me, you feel like the interpretation is rather brief. Wait a minute. There were a lot of details about those animals. And you're saying that the interpretation is, yep, there's going to be four kingdoms, don't worry about it. What about the horn? What about the ten horns and the minus three horns, the plus one horn? And the horn was talking, y'all. Like, come on. And that's exactly what Daniel says. And so after he gets this interpretation in 17 and 18, he presses in in verse 19, asks a question for four long verses saying, yeah, but what about all this stuff? Tell me. Tell me about this fourth beast and all of these horns and all of this. And so the heavenly guide gives him more interpretation, and that's what you see in verse 23 and following. He says, as for the fourth beast. And so now he's really getting into that. There's going to be a fourth kingdom. It's going to be different from the rest. It's going to be stronger than the rest. It's going to trample things. It's going to be more violent than the rest. It's going to chew and devour and then stomp and destroy. And then the ten horns. Well, those are ten kings. And maybe those are ten kingdoms that are going to come up out of that last kingdom. And then there will be one that rises up, one after those ten, that rises up and defeats three others. And this one is a person. Verse 25, this horn, he shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints, shall seek to change things, and the saints will be given into his hand. And then he will be judged. I need to tell you now, I'm not going to answer all your questions this morning. Okay? That's, that's not going to be possible. So let's back up for a minute and seek to understand sort of the big picture here. First of all, I, I want to let, let you in behind the scenes. Why are we studying Daniel? Um, because it's easier than Revelation. All right? Honestly, this, this is a warm-up for me. This is a warm-up for all of us. Kind of get our sea legs a little bit as we journey out into apocalyptic literature. It's, we read newspapers, or we used to anyway. We know how to do that. We don't know how to do this. And so there's, there's a, the opportunity here to learn, gain some instincts for apocalyptic literature in Daniel, which is easier than Revelation before we get to Revelation. Why is Daniel easier? Well, there's two, two things that, that it has going for us. First of all, it often gives the interpretation to its vision. That's really great if you want to know the interpretation of apocalyptic literature. When God tells us the interpretation, we can be sure we have it right. 
and Daniel does that more than once. And that's really helpful. So maybe as we're reading, we see these beasts and figures and all of this, and then we see the interpretation, we can begin to gain a bit of a feel for how does this work. For example, we are not to read this and think one day four Godzilla-like creatures are going to come up out of the Atlantic Ocean to the Outer Banks. Right? Like, it's clear. These are going to be kingdoms. We're not to interpret this in that other sense, newspaper-type sense. And so it puts some, some guidelines on us, some training wheels for us as we're learning how to ride through apocalyptic literature. The other thing that Daniel has going for it is history. So a lot of what Daniel was writing about was future tense to him and is past tense to us. And that's really nice. Because looking back and seeing how apocalyptic literature was fulfilled is way easier than looking forward. So again, as we can look back on some of these things, we can get a feel for this kind of writing, get a feel for how to interpret these kinds of things. And so, so I want to bring a little bit of history to bear with this vision. So let's go back. There were four beasts, right? Verse 4 tells us about the first beast. Do you remember any details about this beast? It was a lion with eagle's wings. So I'm going to give you the... I'm going to, I'm going to tell you up front what, what the scholars would say, and I, I agree with it. This is the kingdom of Babylon. Right? And in fact, it's, it's crazy. If you look at any Babylonian artifacts, you will actually see lions with eagle's wings. It was like their symbol as well. It lined the main thoroughfare of Babylon as you came in. And then we have this strange picture of the wings being plucked off. Sort of a divine judgment. And then the, the lion being set up like a man and given the mind of a man. Now that, if you've been with us in Daniel, should remind you at least a little bit of what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon who was judged, driven out as a beast, but then as he turned to the Lord, he was brought back and the mind of a man given to him again. Right? So this first beast is, is Babylon. The second, the second beast is the Medo-Persian Empire. So let me tell you a little bit about them. Let's, let's just read again what this beast is all about. Behold, another beast, verse 5, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. Okay, so we've got this lopsided bear. Picture a bear that's like a weightlifter with its right arm and right leg and not with its left arm and left leg. All right? So kind of, what a bizarre looking thing that would be. But that's what we're seeing here. A bear that's really strong on one side, really weak on the other. The Medo-Persian Empire was brought together by the Mede. He was born as a Mede, Cyrus the Great. And before he conquered Babylon, he first conquered Persia. And so he united these two peoples into one empire, the Medes and the Persians together. But as it turned out, if you've ever heard of this empire, you've heard of it as the Persian Empire. And that is because the Persian side of this was so much stronger than the side of the Medes. And so this unified empire, this lopsided empire, is pictured 
by this lopsided bear. That's the Medes and the Persians. The next one, verse 6, After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. The beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Let me, let me back up and just say, by the way, I'm going through historic, real empire. I'm not making all this up. These empires existed, and one conquered the next, conquered the next in the Middle East. This is history that we're, we're talking about. It might have been a while since you had that in eighth grade or whenever you last heard about the Medo-Persian Empire, but, but that is the history, and that was the future for God's people as this was written, right? Okay, so now we've got this next beast. It's a leopard, perhaps the fastest land animal that could have been described, but this leopard is also given wings. This is terrifyingly quick. This is a lightning fast. Can you imagine encountering a leopard with wings in the wild? You're toast. There's no running from this thing. There was no running if it didn't have wings. This is a very fast animal. And the, the, the speed that that pictures is the speed of the conquest of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great inherited a small kingdom from his father, and took that small kingdom and conquered the entire known world from where he started, north of Greece, all the way down into Egypt, all the way over to the Indus River. And he did all of that by the time he was 32. And he died at 32, having conquered the entire world. So it speaks to the speed of this conquest. But then he died at 32. How many adult sons do you think he had? Right. That would be zero. And so his kingdom was divided up amongst his four main generals. And the Middle East was divided into those four sections. There it remained until Rome came. And so we have this leopard with wings with four heads, which would seem to picture the four generals that would then take over that empire. All right. And that brings us up to the fourth kingdom. The fourth kingdom following in this line is Rome. It is indeed a kingdom like no other before it. The, the known world was bigger and it, ex, it expanded and conquered the entire known world of the time. It reigned for over 600 years, which is more than the combined length of every other empire together. So it, it conquered more, more land, more people, and more thoroughly subjugated everyone. So up to this point, we've really had the benefit of history. We can go back, you can study these things. I think it's fun. Uh, you can go back and study these things and see how these things fit together. And from this historic perspective, we can see it pretty well. But then things get a little harder for us because, well, is it, are we still looking back? What's the timing on these ten horns? Is that all past? Is that present? Is that future? Our questions become more numerous. So let's just consider for a minute. This, we had the beast, and then it has ten horns, which apparently are ten kings that rise up after the beast or ten kingdoms that come up after the beast. And then finally, one final horn. And you know what happens to that one? 
He gets slain at the final judgment. Verse 26 tells us, right? The court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away. So he will, he will be removed on the last day, which seems to indicate, uh, if you don't know, the final judgment has not happened. All right? Here's just good points of reference in our study of the end times. The final judgment hasn't happened yet. We are living in front of that. And it seems as though the end of this kingdom is coincident with the final judgment. Which means we're, we're living in the days of the horns from that last beast. As best as, as I can tell as I look at this. Right? If, he die, if he dies, if he's slain by the Lord on the last day, then we are still here at the time of the ten horns. Now many will tell you that they've identified the, the identity of this final horn. Um, most, and I'm inclined to agree, would say this is, the, this is a Old Testament picture of the Antichrist. who's going to rise up, cause lots of trouble for God's people before the Lord himself slays the, the Antichrist. But others will try to point to other historic figures. Nero is a popular one because he was such a persecutor of Christians. Um, I can see pieces and parts to that. I, I get troubled by the fact that it doesn't seem like the final judgment is what knocked Nero off his throne. So, but I see, some of, I see some correlations. Others throughout history, you've got to know the church has been doing this a long time, have, have said, oh, it must be Hitler. Oh, it must be Stalin. Oh, it must be Mao. And depending on domestic politics, oh, it must be Trump or Biden. <laughs> and to be honest, many of these have points that kind of make sense and others that, that don't. It's not wrong that we conjecture, but let us admit when we're conjecturing. Yeah? And let us hold our conjectures about truth with an open hand. And let's be firm on the truth. Okay, so I want to give some comfort for you in the midst of us having unanswered questions. To do that, I'm going to talk for a minute about John the Baptist. Hang with me. This relates. All right? John the Baptist. You remember him? Right? Forerunner of Christ. Jesus shows up on the scene. He said nothing to anyone yet. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and, and Jesus said, of those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Okay. I like you. But you're no John the Baptist. All right? Fair? We got that? Okay. Now here's John the Baptist. He's read his apocalyptic literature. He sees Jesus. He tells the whole world who Jesus is. And then, two years later, he's imprisoned. And while in prison... He writes a note to Jesus, sends some disciples to him, says, hey, are you the one? Or should we look for another? And Jesus kindly encourages him. John was confused. John didn't know what was going on. John didn't. The forerunner of Jesus. It's not that he lacked faith. He had faith. Not that he wasn't trying. He was trying. It's that he was confused. He didn't totally get it. His, his charts had gaps in them. 
His ideas had holes. His mind had questions. What does this mean for us? Friends, it does not mean don't study. Right? We are called to study. But we should recognize as we study that we might not get to the level of John the Baptist. We might not get there. And it's hard to interpret apocalypse as you walk through it. John struggled. We might struggle too. We might not, as we look ahead at apocalypse, we're going to not get it sometimes. That's, that was true for the greatest, for John, as he was talking about Jesus. This might be frustrating for you. I get it. I would love all of my questions to be answered too. But I hope what this is is comforting. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room to benefit from apocalypse. You, you, you don't have to get your PhD in Daniel 7 to be ready for what's to come. Let us study according to the time and the gifts that the Lord gives us. Because you, you know what, the, what apocalyptic literature did for John? It did not answer all his questions. But it did get him ready. He was ready. He was ready when he saw Jesus. He was ready for what was coming. Ready and fully understanding are different things. And the Lord intends to get us ready through this passage of Scripture. So, what can we see in here that the Lord is getting us ready for? Two things. The first, I think rather obviously, is a warning. I think the warning was a lot bigger for, at Daniel's time because there were four beasts yet to come. But still there is a warning for us that we still live in the age of the beasts and the horns. And that is not an easy time for the people of God. And there's still, if we understand the timing correctly, this greater horn to come who will be allied against the people of God. So it is a, it is a warning for us that this world is not going to be easy just because Christ has ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, that doesn't mean that all the kingdoms of men have been destroyed. That's the first. It's a warning. The second, the second, we've got to back up a minute because we skipped the best part of the chapter. In our quest to answer questions, we, we, we skipped the best. Verse 13 and 14. We've got, to, we've got to come back and look at that again. I saw in the night visions, and behold... With the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. There were four beasts in a row. Beasts. Cruel and violent and wicked. And now a man. Now a man appears. One like a son of man. Daniel's confused at what he's seeing. Here is one in the image of humanity. But this human comes on the clouds to heaven itself. And is presented right in front of the throne of the ancient of days. 
and the Ancient of Days gives this man everything. That all peoples would worship and serve and obey this man. And that, and that they would do this forever. And every other kingdom was limited in time. From B.C. this to B.C. this. And then it was gone. This kingdom will never be destroyed. This kingdom will never end. Now, while Daniel had questions, no doubt, we again have the benefit of history. And this is New Testament history that we have the benefit of. Jesus' favorite term that he used throughout his ministry, as he described himself, was son of man. Over and over. And nobody got it. Nobody got it. But it's right here. Daniel 7, verse 13. He's saying, I am this son of man. I am this one who is divine and will receive all the rights of divinity and who is also fully human. To the point then that when, when Jesus is actually asked by the high priest at Jesus' trial, the high priest says, you tell me, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? And Jesus replies. Matthew 26, 64. You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Friends, we know the identity of the Son of Man. This is Jesus Christ. Daniel foresaw his coming. And the day is coming when all the kingdoms of men fail and his kingdom is established forever. This is the end of the story. And it's a long ending because it doesn't end. It goes on forever and ever and ever. Okay. So what happens in verse 13 and 14? I believe this is the ascension of Christ to heaven. So, remember, death, resurrection, right? He died for our sins. He was raised again. And then, 40 days later, he was lifted up out of the sight of the disciples. And there they all stood, kind of, wow, you know? Well, what was happening in heaven at that moment? One came on the clouds of heaven and was presented before the Ancient of Days. And he was given, at that time, all authority all power. Is that not what Jesus had just said? All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and preach the gospel. Right? When did he get all authority? Right here. When he was ascended and the authority was given to him based on what he had just accomplished was given to him to rule over all things by his Father. So it is safe to say that we live after verses 13 and 14. But the final judgment is verse 26. So we live between those. We live in Daniel 7. You are here on the map. Okay? This is, this is the time in which, in which we live. Christ's kingdom has begun, but its fullness has not yet arrived. He has begun to reign, but the last of his enemies is not beneath his feet. Right now, his kingdom grows. Right now, his kingdom grows through the proclamation of the gospel as the kind king 
rescues captives from the beast and brings them into his own kingdom. Praise God for that. That's you and me. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, his kingdom grows through the proclamation of the good news as people repent and are saved from the dominion of the beast and are brought into the glorious kingdom of our beloved son, his beloved son. Friend, if you've not turned to Christ, turn to him today. He is the one who is establishing an eternal kingdom. Everything else will be destroyed. Everything else will be gone. Only his kingdom remains. Turn to him. Today is a day of mercy. This age is the, the age of mercy that we're living in right now, as people can repent and come to his kingdom. And friend, do so because Daniel chapter 7 is coming to an end. And the end of Daniel chapter 7 is terror for the enemies of God and hope for the children of God. The judgment of God is it's, it's a fire behind which the people of God hide. It is their defense their strong tower, and it is terror for the beast and those who follow after him. So church, I want to fix our eyes on our hope here as we close. Do you notice what happens here? This kingdom of Christ, right? It's the kingdom of Christ. We see that back in verse 13. He's given this kingdom. So it's his kingdom. And so I would have expected that when we get to the end of of the chapter, that we would see it's His kingdom. And in fact, we do see that. But something else is just amazing. Look at verse 27. The kingdom, the dominion, the greatness of the kingdom under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. What? This is unexpected. You've heard it before. But it's unexpected every time. His kingdom will be our kingdom? What? What mercy of God. He will share his kingdom with his people. This is the opposite of the beast, trampling upon people for its own glory. Here is Christ who exalts those around him and puts them in charge of his kingdom. The meek will inherit the earth. The saints will dwell in the land. The children of God will, will rise up and reign with their elder brother, King Jesus, forever and forever and ever. So, dear friend, as we study this apocalyptic literature, we don't have to figure everything out. You don't have to be the smartest one in the room. You might feel like you haven't figured out a lot of the stuff about the end times. Welcome to the club. Have you met John the Baptist? <laughs> but as we study them, let's, let's be diligent to look at the word together. Let's be humble students of apocalypse that God could prepare us for the days ahead. We do not need to know every detail about the future. We do need to know the one who holds the future. We don't need to know 
how to figure it all out. We just need to cling to the one who has figured it all out. And praise God. We don't need all the wisdom of Jesus to come out victorious. We just need to look to Jesus to come out victorious. So let us fix our eyes on him. To this son of man who rules and reigns right now and who is returning to establish his kingdom for all time. Worship team, come on up. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us right now, even as we still wrestle with questions. Lord, help us to hear what you're saying. Grant us the hope that this is meant to grant us. That you reign. You reign. And that you who reign are gentle and good. Your kingdom will be delivered over into the hands of your people. What a blessed hope awaits us. Lord, would you help us each day to live in light of that day, to not forget these great realities that that you have taken time to unfold and to reveal. Help us live our ordinary lives in light of this extraordinary ending that you have revealed to us. You are our hope. In your name we pray, amen.